Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast. The only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online and apps. In episode 138, we discuss the rising interest in second division leagues, news about MLS Cup Final returning to ABC, our thoughts about Barry FC's demise, plus letters from you listeners in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, and I am joined by my co-host, Kartik Krishnayer. Kartik, there's a lot going on in the world of soccer um, let's start off with uh, a story that's uh, near and dear to, to your heart and, and to mine and, and, and to a lot of soccer fans too. I think uh, even those that uh, maybe are not interested in lower league football or don't really follow lower league football. But the biggest story from this past week has been the uh, demise of Barry FC. So this is a club that's historically uh, been around the football league in Great Britain for a very, very long time. It's the first team uh, to drop out of the league, to be expelled uh, since Maidstone. And that Maidstone was uh, 27 years ago. So Bury FC has been told that you mean, basically their membership in the Football League um, is, is, is gone. And that's it for the club. The club has now you mean, dissolved, ended, and will not play another game this season. Now, there's always a the prospect of maybe that club being uh, reformed. Uh, going back to the, the, the story, the example of Maidstone, Maidstone uh, are now a non-league club, and I think they're in the sixth tier of non-league football in, in England. So they're coming back under you know, a different name, different ownership, and, and hopefully for Barry FC, um, that could happen too. But as we saw, Kartik, this from, from this past week, Bolton Wanderers almost were in, uh, uh, suffered the same fate too. What, what's your perspective on this, and, and uh, why should soccer fans, even if you're not a Barry FC or a Bolton Wanderers fan, why should soccer fans uh, be interested in, in a topic like this? I, I can't imagine they're not interested in it, and, and that was why I was so stunned by people saying, oh, it's just a club, it's a lower league club. Uh, Gig Lane is one of the most historic grounds in English football. Bury won an FA Cup before Manchester City did or Manchester United did. They uh, uh, won the league before either. Uh, Manchester City actually got quite competitive around the same time, but uh, Bury were, were a better club. Uh, Bolton I also won an FA Cup, I believe, before Manchester City or Manchester United did. I might be wrong about that. Uh, Bolton is an original football league club. 
club, by the way. Bari uh, is a club that has a rich history. It is the um, it is kind of the essence of a neighborhood, community, local club uh, through the years. Uh, Bury, if you're not familiar with the geography, is in Greater Manchester. It's just north of of Manchester itself. It's just to the uh, east of, of Wigan and Bolton, which are places I think Premier League fans have heard of. Uh, and uh, this thing had been playing out for a number of years. I have a good friend, Armando Diaz, who actually called into our Fifth Street Sports Show the other night, who had gotten very involved with the club. He lives here in, in the Fort Lauderdale, Miami area, here in South Florida, uh, but had been very involved the last few years since uh, our local club, the Fort Lauderdale Strikers, folded. Um, I you know, got involved in the other local club, Miami FC, uh, whereas uh, Armando took that occasion to get more involved in, in a club, um, in, in a traditional club in the, in the football league. Uh, so it, it really matters. We don't have club failures a lot in England. We never have club failures in Germany. Uh, we, it's not like the U.S., because I think in the U.S. people are used to this closed league system where half the, half the clubs fail. And I have to emphasize, this is a rare event uh, in Europe. And generally in Europe, when clubs fail, Phoenix clubs replace it. So you saw Parma fail a couple of years ago in Italy. Uh, there's a club that replaced it. They're already back in Serie A. Same thing happened with Fiorentina a couple of years earlier. Uh, but this really does matter. And I want to point out really quickly about Bolton, Chris, because Bolton uh, is a club that I think most of our listeners are familiar with because they were in the Premier League for the majority of the first 20 years of the Premier League. They spent more years in the first division or top flight of English football than any other club that hasn't won a title spent most of their existence in the top flight. They've had such financial, residual financial problems from their time in the Premier League. And yes, there was overspending. When Sam Allardyce was there, he he assembled a very eclectic uh, squad of, of guys, the J.J. Okochas and the Ivan Campos and Nicholas Anelkas of the world, you know, a lot of good foreign players uh, that uh, saddled them with debt. Uh, they had a, a former owner that passed away and wrote off a lot of that debt, but they still have accumulated that debt. They were on the brink in 2015 of going out of business. Uh, and uh, now have had this uh, just been rescued at the last minute in, in 2019. The the thing I, I want to mention about Bolton is it shows kind of the excess of uh, the Premier League. If you don't have your own academy and you don't have the infrastructure to support it, You're, it's contrasted by what your club, Chris, is doing currently. Swansea City, who top of the championship, they just won 6-0 in the League Cup. They just sold their two best players uh, to Premier League clubs. But they, they, they always had the infrastructure and never overspent. I even think of the year you guys were promoted, Darren Pratley being sold to Bolton when they couldn't afford to buy him. Mm -hmm. And um, they ruined his career, by the way. Uh, one other quick note on Bolton. They no longer own their training ground. They had to sell it to Wigan, their closest rival. And always Wigan is generally in the same division as them in the last twenty in the last 15 years. So um, that's even more humiliating. The club is still in business. Uh, they still own their ground and the hotel associated with the ground, the old Reebok. Um, it's, it's a, I say old Reebok. It was, used to be called the Reebok, but it's one of the newer stadiums in England. And it's very lucrative. My concern has always been that people want Bolton because they want that property. And at some point, the club will be dissolved and the liquidated and that property will be sold. That's my great fear. I've already We've already seen the training ground, which is on another property, sold to Wigan, who's their nearest rival. Uh, and uh, they now lease it from Wigan. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's, uh, that's my overriding concern. That, it, um, in some uh, ways, though, Kartik, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for 
in terms of um, the ma- the mismanagement of both of these clubs. So particularly but, Bolton, I would say. But, yeah, Bolton even more so. Bolton yeah. are I- incredibly lucky to be yes. still in existence. I agree. But 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 the connection on on this one too. Some listeners might be wondering, okay, why are we talking about this topic? Well, it has a connection to the TV media landscape because I mean these are two clubs. Uh, Barry against Bolton was supposed to be on ESPN Plus. Uh, September 8th that was their featured, <laughs> featured game that's not going to happen any, any longer I mean Bolton will continue but Barry or not but the connection to TV is that uh, and, uh, and most viewers most listeners in the United States uh, didn't see this but you might have seen this on social media is that Sky Sports the way that they covered uh, these two stories Sky Sports News is that they had a countdown clock and countdown clock to 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 basically the D Day uh, on when Barry and Bolton when the time limit would be up to for them to prove to the EFL the English Football League that they had the financial uh, support in place in order to cont- continue and and this was really it's you know sickening it's despicable that Sky Sports would do something this like this it's kind of try to sensationalize a really I mean really difficult uh, circumstances. By having a countdown clock, as if they're trying to celebrate, I mean, I don't know, New Year's Eve uh, kind of countdown clock or a transfer deadline countdown clock, and really to, I mean, Bolton and Barry are two clubs that Sky Sports probably paid very little attention to for the last, I mean, few years with all the financial problems they've had, um, and and this this goes back to a topic we've talked about before, Kartik, but. That's my concern with Sky Sports' uh, partnership with NBC Sports, is that would rub off on NBC. It hasn't done thus far. I mean, NBC Sports is still um, basically kind of more your high-end, really good analysis, well-produced soccer coverage. And Sky Sports' more sensationalized side of things has not tainted uh, NBC Sports yet. But that, that's always been my concern ever since I heard the news about Sky Sports and NBC working closely together. I, th- I, I think you two, Kartik, are on the same page as that. But um, yeah, sickening stuff there from Sky Sports. And it's really kind of uh, really low that they would uh, go to that level. Yeah, and, and I think that there uh, were also... Um, uh, most supporters in England were were sympathetic or true supporters, not necessarily Premier League supporters. There, I mean, hardcore uh, local soccer supporters, local football supporters. But there were some shades of people saying, "Oh, you know, it would be great if, if these clubs went out of business, uh, blah blah blah," because then we could we could pick up the carcasses. And uh, there were Rochdale fans willing Barry's uh, ex- uh, extension on, and there were fans of other clubs willing Bolton's existence on. I think Bari has been mismanaged, uh, Chris, just to finish up on this. I don't think they've been mismanaged in any greater fashion than the Charltons or the Pompeys or some of the other clubs that have had some serious, serious problems, Crystal Palace in the past, uh, in English football. However, Bolton, I think, is probably the te- the, 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 the uh, poster child, if you want to call it that, for, for horrible football mismanagement over a long period of time and um, being overly ambitious without any sort of reason. So um, I do think it is a little ironic, and I think I tweeted this earlier in the week, that the Football League didn't give Bari as many chances as Bolton could have very easily been out of business several years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, that Bolton, because it is a bigger club, it is a club with a big stadium, it is a club that has been in Europe recently. I remember them playing Bayern Munich at the Allianz in 2007 or 2008 in, in uh, 
whatever year that Bayern missed the Champions League and ended up in in, in uh, UEFA Cup, Europa League. Yeah. I remember Sam Allardyce taking Bolton there to play them, um, or maybe Sammy Lee by that time. But yeah, I think it was Sammy Lee. But in, in any event, they're a club that people who followed the Premier League for the last 10, 15 years are all familiar with, right? So I, I get the feeling they were given more chances and that there is a double standard. And Armando, when he called into Fifth Street Sports, uh, likened it to the NCAA, right? I mean, Bolton is a big program. Bari is some small program and some small conference. So the, 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 the punishment and the standards are not equitable. And I, and I would agree with that. It'll be interesting to see if NBC Sports this weekend for the Premier League coverage uh, discusses any of this. You mean, in, in, you mean, from their perspective, does this have any relation to the Premier League? And, and to me, it does, because, you mean, yes, these clubs are no longer in the, in the championship, but the, you know, I think League One. Um, but this would be something that uh, would be a story that you mean, is connected to this promotion relegation. This, this is kind of the heart of uh, English soccer in many ways, two historic clubs. And there is a connection there too, but it'll be interesting to see if NBC Sports does mention it in one of the news segments or has Neil Ashton on board to kind of talk and debate about it. Kartik, from this past week, I'll just throw this in real fast, is my game of the week. It's actually a joint tie, and the two games of the week for me were Barcelona against Real Betis. Uh, Just a sensational game in terms of the quality levels on display by... Really, Griezmann mostly for for Barcelona, uh, just just per- perfection personified. I mean, this is just a a game I was able to sit back and watch it with my wife, and to sit back and just uh, in amazement at some of the skills on display. What and, about his goal celebration? Were you oh, moved God. by that? <laughs> well, they, not that. <laughs> that that was uh, that was a low point of of the game for me. <laughs> uh, and for, for those who missed it, uh, there was someone along, along the sidelines who had a a part of glitter and when he scored one of his amazing goals he went over and, and threw the glitter up in the sky and yeah it was that was a circus uh that, at that point but but real betis had some great goals too it, it was a really yeah. entertaining goal fest the other game that was an entertaining goal fest was uh lafc la galaxy zlatan you gotta love him in terms of scoring those goals in front of the LA, lafc supporters and just uh I mean, just, just I mean, just a great character to watch, and somebody that uh, I have a lot of respect for in terms of uh, knowing how to turn the screw and just just really just just live up to his, uh, you know, kind of the the ego of of, of Zlatan. But um, and then LFC coming back in the, in the second half to tie it up three three. But a great game there too. But what about you, Kartik? What's what's was your uh, game of the week? Yeah, I, I'm tempted to go with the Galaxy and uh, LAFC also, and uh, that was uh, quite a spectacle, but I thought there was just poor defending in the match. Um, but, you know, just a great spectacle, and Zlatan is, is so much fun. I'm actually going to go for a bit of an outlier that people might not have watched, which was uh, uh, Washington uh against Orlando in the NWSL just because of the crowd that they had there um, in, 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 with a club that has been really sagging. They, they went into the district to play this match. They got 19,000. Marta scored a goal for Orlando, but Washington won 2-1, to one, and it was... Uh, there was a lot of energy there. So I'm going to go with that as my match of the week. Maybe a little bit of a biased outlier because I want to see NWSL be successful, but I'm going to pick that one. So from the games this past weekend, uh, th- this this past week, actually, I probably saw more soccer than I have done in uh, probably since the Women's World Cup and Copa America and Gold Cup when we had like what f- six or seven games on a, on a day at times. Um, 
it's been a great week. I've watched some, watched some great games. I mean, for me, just some highlights. Aston Villa against Everton on the Friday game. Uh, to me, the highlight of this game was really at the end, the NBC's coverage of the Holt end, uh, just in full volume. And this is perfect NBC Sports. This is a perfect example of, of how well they know the game because at the end of the game, Holt End is going crazy. Aston Villa gets a deserved win. And the, the noise and, and just the emotion coming from the Holt End there, a really historic uh, end um, of, of a English football stadium, a traditional English football stadium. And they stayed with the broadcast. I think Rebecca Lowe didn't talk for maybe like 30 to 45 seconds and just let the sound and energy come through the TV screen. And that was a really impressive way. I, I thought, okay, yes, NBC Sports still has it. They're letting the fans do the talking after the final whistle rather than having talking heads talking over the, the crowd noise. And that was followed on, on Saturday morning too, the Norwich City against um, Chelsea game. And this one was, again, at Carrow Road is another quintessential uh, English football stadium. I mean, the, the fans are very close to the pitch. Uh, it's not the most uh, iconic or most beautiful, aesthetically pleasing stadium, but the noise and uh, you know, bright sunny day in England and, and then the yellow and green colours from Norwich um, in the stadium and on the field. This was a great atmos- atmosphere too uh, and an, another entertaining game. And, and in both of those, those are some of the reasons I, I, I love the Premier League as much as I do is sometimes it's not just the the soccer that's on display or the, or the history about the clubs, but it's the fans and it's the atmosphere and it's the packed stadiums and it's the not an empty seat to be found and just the, the pure atmosphere that just hits you as you're watching these games. I would say that that continued, Kartik. Man United against Crystal Palace from Old Trafford. Uh, who would have expected this one? I mean, Crystal Palace, I mean, to me, in terms of uh, pragmatism and, uh, I mean, you know, just just playing kind of a fi- trying to figure out any way possible to waste time or to just control this game and and they did and, and Old Trafford came alive too with uh, Dan James scoring and you're thinking okay here we go United get an equalizer maybe they'll get a last gasp winner <laughs> and then Crystal Palace coming back and and just like like silencing the crowd um this was another good, good game with another great atmosphere. I mean, the, the game itself wasn't the best game uh, by any means, but um, it was. I almost switched it off. I, I I almost switched it off because it looked in the first half. It's like okay, this is kind of getting boring, and then uh, and then Palace scores, and then I was hooked. I was like, I, I got to watch this that, game. Chris, that match was so unique in that when you're a, a, a side likely battling relegation and you're up one 0 at Old Trafford, what's your instinct to do uh, substitution wise? Bring on, bring on a defender, or bring on yeah. a, a, a defensive Yeah, and what did Roy Hodgson do? He brought he brought on uh, uh, both uh, Andres Townsend and Christian Benteke. Yeah, and then James MacArthur. And because of that, they were able to hold the ball up. Now James got that goal in the 80th minute, but they had uh, the ability to kind of stretch the match. And when Pogba turned the ball over, they had number they had, were able to create numbers going forward. I thought it was uh, a brilliant tactical wrinkle from a, an, a wily old veteran that I, I don't just don't think has been talked about enough uh, this week. Uh, yeah. But uh, Roy Hodgson still has it. That was that was brilliant because Benteke in particular was able to hold the ball up and change the trajectory, not change the trajectory of the match, but um, whereas it seemed like United was inevitably going to get an equalizer, uh, after those two substitutions were made, it didn't feel like that, and James created a moment of magic to get it. Mm-hmm. But then Palace still had the ability to go forward and score again. So I thought that was brilliant from Roy Hodgson. 
yeah, yeah, and, and I'm sure Hodgson, probably most people probably thought like, ah, it's just a fluke and, and didn't really focus on him. It was more of a focus on, um, I mean, uh, Solskjaer and, and the United, United team kind of uh, losing that one. But uh, yeah, good point there, Kartik. Uh, Real Madrid against uh, Rayo Valladolid. I watched this game and I still can't believe that Real Madrid didn't walk away from this one with a convincing win. And because uh, they totally dominated this game. I mean, by halftime, it could have been 3 0, 4 0. Um, ended up being a draw, a one-one draw between uh, Real Madrid and uh, Valladolid. Um, great result there for the away team, and, and so far this season in La Liga, uh, Barcelona saw that uh, in their first game against Athletic. It's these smaller teams that are giving the, the Giants uh, a tough time. I mean, it's a long season, but uh, entertaining stuff there from La Liga, uh, and then a whole bunch of other games I watched. Um, watched the uh, the Inter Lecce game on Monday from Serie A. Uh, this was almost like a target practice for Inter. It, it, it was 4-0. It could have been 5-0, 6-0, 7-0. Um, a really one-sided game. Midweek, I watched uh, Red Star Belgrade against Young Boys. Uh, TNT's coverage of the Champions League uh, playoff match here. Uh, it was great to see Kate Abdo, Tim Howard and Stu Holden back again. Uh, Martin Tyler and Stuart Robson commentating this one. Unfortunately, it was a pretty boring game. Uh, this was one that uh, Red Star just... I mean, parked the bus playing at home in front of a very, you I mean, kind of very um, aggressive crowd and uh, held on and, and it worked. I mean, they're, they're now through into the group stage of the Champions League and that tactic worked. And uh, also tuned in for the US Open Cup. I missed the, I missed the first 20 minutes. So um, I think I was running late from soccer practice, came back home, switched on Atlanta against Minnesota in the 20th minute and... Within about two minutes, I switched it off because it was, um, I mean, I think it was John Champion and Taylor Twelman talking about 2-0 you know, at this point, I mean, looking at the bench and looking at um, Minnesota United's players that should have been on the field but weren't on the field. And you know, even the commentators sounded very dejected. It sounded like the game was over. Um, and, and, and so, I mean, Minnesota this did pull, pull the game back, but, but it ended up being a you know, This is something MLS, is, MLS uh, commentators and MLS fans are going to have to deal with, okay? And I, and I hate to throw this out here. I, we might get a lot of hate mail for this, but um, Atlanta is taking on the sort of aura as a club that MLS has never had. Maybe DC United the first few years where um, – Everybody who doesn't support them hates them. Everybody's dejected who doesn't support them because they keep winning. But they're moving the needle in MLS. They beat a Mexican team in a, in a cup final, which uh, no MLS team had done in 20 years since that those great D.C. United teams beat Tolu- uh, Toluca in 98 in the CONCACAF Champions Final. Uh, and there seems to be just when I talk to people, oh, Atlanta won again. Oh, you know, I guess we thought DeBoer was going to screw them up. They did it. And... I, I sense some of that even um, – I love John Champion and Taylor Tolman, two of my favorite people in the in the business. But I think I sense some of that during that match. And then there was a sending off. Then Minnesota got a goal, and there was more pep in the voices. But, yeah, I, well, that, I, I think it's just a general reflection of MLS fandom that a- Atlanta has come in and taken what was a very mediocre product and upgraded it on their end. And they pushed the envelope, and people resent them for it. Well, that, that's the thing, Kartik, you, you hit the nail on the head there too. I mean, I tuned in, I listened to maybe three minutes or four minutes of, of uh, analysis by Twelman and by John Champion. They sounded dejected. They sounded like the game was done. They sounded like, I mean, there was no, 
I mean, I, miss, I missed it. I didn't hear it in, the, in those three or four minutes I was listening, but there was no, hey, how can Minnesota bounce back from this one? What, what do they need to do tactically uh, to get back into this game? Because it sounded at that point that the game was absolutely done and dusted and they were completely in control. It was an easy, I mean, comfortable 2-0 uh, lead by, by the, the, hate, the 19th it, minute. But in the heyday of Manchester United under Sir Alex Ferguson, they jump out to a 2-0 lead in the cup final. There's not much analysis even in those days True. among the commentators. Oh, what does uh, what does Crystal Palace need to do to get back into this match? Right. Or whoever they're playing. They played Millwall in the cup final. Maybe that's a better example um, in, in an FA Cup final. It's just like, oh, it's done. Yeah. Now, it turned out this wasn't done because there was a sending off and Minnesota got a goal back. But to be honest with you, I never felt like Minnesota was going to win the match, even uh, uh, up a man. So... I think, uh, yeah, it's something MLS people have to deal with. Atlanta is something they have not seen in their league, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, I, I, I have my own kind of envy and jealousy of Atlanta United, which I think I've expressed from a, from a standpoint of Orlando City and, and, and soccer in Florida. But it's a good thing. It's a very good it's, thing what they're doing. It's a good thing over the course of a season. Um, and, I, and I've had this with Man United in the past before, but it's a bad thing in, in a cup final because you're tuning yeah, in yeah. thinking, okay, you mean it's one match. You mean this everything counts in this one game, this ninety minutes. You mean let's hope it's it's a very competitive final. And in so many FA Cups or Community Shields or you mean League Cup finals in the past um, past decade, you can look at and say, okay, this is just a one sided. You mean just a stroll uh, to to victory. And, and it's unless you're a fan of Atlanta United, if you're an Atlanta United fan or, or appreciate their playing style. You'll be you'll be entertained by this, but if you're a neutral coming in hoping for a competitive match, this this was not it. The challenge with this this one, Kartik, is that how did that impact the TV viewing numbers? Well, we don't know, and we will never know because this game is not was not on television. It was on ESPN Plus, which was the first U.S. Open Cup final not on television as a final for what over a decade. Um, and the ESPN Plus, I think actually since like since ninety eight maybe ninety eight. Oh my goodness! So, so probably like yeah, sixteen. No, 17. maybe uh, no, no, no. Those games I think would end up on on Fox. What was then Fox Sports World or Fox? Yeah, and Gold TV had the final for a few years. I okay. think it's uh, so it's yeah, probably 20, 20, 20 years, twenty plus years. Yeah, and that's the thing we won't find out what the viewing numbers were on ESPN Plus for this one. So we don't know if it's you mean I don't know ninety thousand people tuned in as an average over the course of those two two hours. Um, we will never know. So, but ah, ah, frustrating uh, game uh, to watch from my perspective. Kartik, what about the Bundesliga? Was there anything in terms of the television coverage or any any standout moments? Yeah, uh, the Bayern Schalke game, Schalke Bayern match uh, in Gelsenkirchen. Uh, Keith Costigan and Warren Barton were pretty good. I know well, Costigan's always good, but Warren Barton. I think is growing into this role and it's kind of a shame because they're out of European football completely after this season. So I don't know what his future is, but growing into this role as a co-commentator, he seems to be maybe better at that than being in the studio. Uh, And now I think he's had so many reps between uh, European matches. They call off the monitors and Bundesliga matches uh, that he's gotten to a a pretty good level. I enjoyed his analysis of this match uh, to be quite frank. And that's not something I've always said about him. Let me me just chime in there right uh, real fast. And this was completely by coincidence because I was uh, researching an article this week. Actually, no, somebody emailed me, um, a past uh, listener and a past uh, writer who had written a piece about Gus Johnson. And so I I looked up on the website to go back into memory as as far as figuring out which article he wrote about Gus Johnson. Um, I didn't find it, but I did find another one about Gus Johnson. And this was that 
And then this is the headline from World Soccer Talk. Warren Barton says that Gus Johnson is one of the best soccer commentators in the world. <laughs> well, not only is he not one of the best soccer commentators in the world, he's not even a soccer commentator anymore. That, that's, how, that's how great he was. Um, but anyway, but yeah, Warren, no, Warren, he's grown on me. <laughs> Absolutely. And I haven't heard much of him in the past couple of years other than maybe maybe a Gold Cup performance or a game here and there. Um, but he's grown on me, and they're not. I mean, that's somebody that they could be using more often. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if he's it's under contract. It's very random when they use him. You know, yeah. they use him. He pops up every now and then on a Bundesliga match, and this was a big match that I wanted to watch, and he happened to be the co-commentator, and I thought he was good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think he's improved very much as a co-commentator. And um, one more thing before we move on to the next segment. So it, it was MS, MLS uh, rivalry week. Um, so I mentioned about the LA. Um, derby that i caught and you caught any other games that you caught that were of interest uh tv wise <laughs> yeah i watched orlando atlanta i thought that that was uh yeah it was pretty kind of predictable and and uh unfortunately unfortunately from the florida perspective orlando lost to atlanta again not surprisingly uh I, i've never seen a rivalry where not only the fan base is all fired up about it, but the front office is actively encouraging them because they have such a resentment of the other club. Orlando has a, a kind of a terminal jealousy that's developed in Atlanta. They've still, still never beaten them between cup competitions and league. And then um, Portland, Seattle, very, I think there was a lot of um, effort made uh, in the television broadcast not to focus on the Timbers army in this match. So uh, I don't want to get too deep into that. Maybe that's right. a topic for another show. But, but, but uh, there's do you think, been a. Do you think really real, though? I mean, there, there was really a, an effort. I think there was, yeah. Hmm. And uh, I think that uh, MLS MLS has a problem now with. Um, I think MLS the owners. I'm just, I don't want to get too deep into this, but yeah. MLS's owners and management have different political views than the vast majority of MLS fan bases, and uh, uh, soccer does not have the same fan base in this country, a type of type of people demographically supporting it as uh, American football or baseball. It's more like basketball, uh, mm-hmm. quite frankly, and maybe even more more left than that. So uh, this began to rear its ugly head in Atlanta a couple of weeks ago with uh, Atlanta United supporters who had clear kind of what I guess you would call leftist political messages or anti-fascism uh, and, and then it's just spread and in Portland uh, which has been a kind of a, of a showcase piece of MLS and that uh, supporters group has been the the showcase supporters group in MLS uh, they've taken a strong stand there's obviously been a lot going on in the city streets of Portland too in terms of uh, political demonstrations and um, I felt like uh, they took they made this match their big stand because it's the biggest rivalry in MLS and it was on national television and I just felt like there was an effort to uh, de-emphasize it and we've heard from Alexi Lawless all week coming into the match that these uh, supporters are guests which is kind of a laughable notion um, but yeah, again I think that they made an effort MLS to, to downplay it and, and the television coverage to avoid it Interesting. Yeah, I missed that match. Uh, the only feedback I, I heard on this one was um, a lot of criticisms about uh, the uh, team shirt color choices. Uh, both teams playing in green on a very yeah. bright green uh, surface, which made it very difficult to watch on television. But, huh, interesting. Interesting in terms of your thoughts there, Kartik, in terms I, of... I like uh, that MLS. Okay, so, so on that real quickly, that did make this game difficult to watch. However, I love that MLS is not... 
um, has kind of very subtly done away with teams having to wear change kits or white kits to offset colors because I like color on color. I don't, when uh, teams are wearing their alternate kits, I hate it in the Premier League when uh, Burnley or Aston Villa or West Ham is playing and you have to wear that third kit. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that, it's inevitable you do uh, because of the, that specific color combination. But uh, I, I just can't stand it from the opposing team's uh, perspective. All right, let's move on to TV streaming news. Yeah, so uh, big, big week this week in terms of uh, um, in terms of announcements. ABC with the U.S. Soccer Leagues. So this is the first one. ABC is going to broadcast the MLS Cup final on over-the-air television for the first time since 2008, when uh, that was the uh, Columbus Crew against the Red Bulls, and, and that match was in Los Angeles, so it made a very bad optic uh, presentation. This is a big, big breakthrough for Major League Soccer uh, because obviously they've had um, MLS Cup Finals on Fox over the year. Fox over the year does not have the same power as ABC over the year. And the best ratings for MLS Cup Finals, except for last season because that included Atlanta, I always have to point that out, Mm -hmm. were generally in the early days of MLS when ABC would show MLS Cup Finals that included DC United and or Los Angeles. This year, there's the real possibility it could be Atlanta and LAFC. And I think that that uh, possibility might have motivated this decision. Hmm. Interesting. It, it, it's difficult. I mean, it, the chances of Atlanta United being in that final are, are you know, very, very likely. Um, but with the playoff structure and the way that MLS is set up, it's, it's basically it's a knockout tournament you mean, at yeah. the end. So anything can happen because in many, I mean, yes, LAFC, in terms of their playing style and the way that they're set up, uh, and the players that they have at the disposal should go pretty far in that cup competition, but effectively it could it can, it could end up being anyone. It could be, you know, I don't know, Columbus or somebody making it through. <laughs> yeah, I mean, who, who knows? But um, the interesting thing about this one for me, Kartik, is that, uh, and we've talked about this on this podcast uh, for the last few months, is that uh, I think I reported or mentioned that um, uh, ABC, well, ES- ESPN, ESPN was looking at possible the possibility of taking one of their Serie A games and putting that on ABC. Now that may still happen uh, this season, but um, it's a great pedestal to put a game on because the last time there was a, uh, a live soccer game on ABC was I think the 2014 um, men's World Cup final, and yeah. um, I mean that's it's been a long long time. And having it on ABC, you're, you're right. It's more it's a higher profile. Uh, broadcast channel than it would be Fox. I mean, Fox last year for the MLS Cup final had, I think, 1.5 or 1.6 million people watch this game. Uh, ABC has the record for the highest uh, number of viewers that have watched the game MLS Cup final uh, on US television. And I, I think that was 2.2 million people in 1997. So there's an opportunity here for Major League Soccer to, to, to beat that number, to say, hey, can, let's see if we can get more than 2, 2.2 million. And Atlanta United against, say, um, LA Galaxy or LAFC, that could be something that could definitely uh, bring in a lot of fans that were more the casuals or more the ones that are usually disinterested in MLS to watch this game. I don't know that newer MLS fans realize this, and you and I have emphasized this through the years, that the television ratings for MLS in the late 90s when the league first started were actually deep pretty decent yeah. and well. they fell off a cliff in the early 2000s when the league contracted when uh, there was I, I know 
MLS and U.S. soccer like to say that, oh, everything is always incrementally getting better. But actually, there were a slew of really big name foreign players who were in their 30s, admittedly, but um, were big names in that era that played in MLS between 1996 and 1999. Uh, And so that drove a lot of the ratings. And there was uh, more of a... Uh, commitment to show matches on ABC then. And uh, there was one mm-hmm. season, I remember ABC even showed 15 regular season matches. Uh, seems amazing now in, in, in hindsight. At the time, the Premier League and uh, the other European leagues were not terribly accessible in this country, though. That that has to be noted. Yeah, and, and the timing of this is interesting, too. So it's the MLS Cup Final. It's no- November 10th, I believe it is, which is a Sunday. Uh, and the game was gonna be, is going to kick off at 3 p.m. Eastern time. So it's right slap back in the middle of uh, NFL Sunday. It's not prime time. Um, and it's probably 3 p.m. Eastern because that was probably the only time that they the could NFL figure out a way thing to do is it. Over, the NFL thing is overrated. I want to point out last season, I think we talked about this on the podcast at the time, uh, there was a New York Red Bull Atlanta United game that went head-to-head with a- a- NFL matches. It was on ESPN, and it got a better uh, better number than the vast majority of uh, MLS matches on ESPN or Fox FS1 that uh, last season. So there was one time there was a Philly Union game on and it got a terrible rating. But I think if you have the right teams, and again, that means Atlanta in most cases or Seattle, uh, the the football thing is overrated. And it's it's just a a, a whiny talking point from a lot of fans who want to make excuses for the ratings. If Atlanta's in the game, I don't think I think the rating will be quite good. Seattle's in the game, which the. Maybe, but they probably won't be. Uh, I think the rating will be good. I agree. And I think it's one of those things that um, if it's a, a game that's important, people will figure out a time. We'll, we'll, we'll tune in. We'll find a way to tune in. So whether the game kicks up at 10 p.m. Eastern time, 10.30 Eastern time, like this uh, LA, uh, well, actually it was later than 10.30, the LAFC, LA Galaxy game, people will find a way to tune in if it's important enough or 3 p.m. Eastern or whatever, or 7.30 in the morning, whatever it is. If it's good enough, people will come. But uh, but yeah, this is this could be a huge opportunity for ABC and MLS. Uh, vice versa, this could be uh, another well, not, not another, but this could be a slap in the face if the number isn't as good as it as it should be. Because this is, I mean, even though it's not prime time viewing hours, it's three p.m. on a Sunday on big a- ABC, and that number better be good. I mean, that, that that's that's the way I'm looking at this one for um, for that. But it's good news. Before we move on to talking about USL and Nice, uh, as far as TV coverage there, um, more and more news about the US uh, soccer leagues here, uh, I do want to mention that uh, we broke a story this week on worldsoccertalk.com, and that is that the Spanish uh, Segunda Division, the second division of La Liga, uh, coverage of the, those games this season are on Azteca, America which is a Spanish-language television station. It's available through satellite, as well as Sling Latino, and uh, I think AT&T TV now has it also. But it's a, it's a channel that in the past has had uh, select uh, Liga MX games, and this season is going to have that second division of La Liga. So why is this important? I think it's important because uh, there's been a lot of fans uh, getting into La Liga, and if you're a fan of, I don't know, Raya Vallecano... Malaga. Well, well not, not Malaga, not this season, but previous seasons. Uh, yeah. In previous seasons when they were down, yeah. Right, or uh, Deportivo La Coruna. I mean, there's so many teams that are good Spanish teams that get relegated. It's just a, you mean, a matter of uh, things happen. And if you're a fan of like, De- uh, Deportivo as one example, this is your opportunity to be able to continue watching that club. Not, uh, not every single game. There'll be a few games on TV each weekend. 
But that coverage is available and it's available through Azteca America on television. And then some of those games, um, some of those well, from that league, uh, different games will be streamed on Bean Sports Connect. So there's an opportunity there if you're into second division Spanish soccer. And speaking of second division and lower uh, league tables and, and, and clubs and divisions, Kartik, I'll, I'll let you uh, lead off with the rest, rest of the news. Yeah, so USL this week uh, signed a deal with ESPN, which uh, runs through 2022, which is ironically the year the MLS uh, deal, the MLS some uh, deal with US soccer, uh, those rights end as well. So I don't know if we might see some bundling in the future. That'd be nice. I think so. Uh, Which is a a three-year extension to the deal that's currently in place. Every match USL uh, Productions will, will produce and uh, stream, continue to stream on ESPN Plus, and a selected number of games will be on the ESPN TV channels. Why this is significant, even though it's 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 a small amount of money, um, my my understanding is it's low seven figures uh, USL got as a rights fee, so they can then reinvest some of that money in improving USL Productions or also maybe giving some savings to the clubs who pay in every year to the league. Uh, the, the the structure of USL is kind of complicated to explain but basically clubs uh are franchises in usl and they pay yearly dues and they have to pay uh stuff on top of the yearly dues for, for, for television production etc et the stuff handled by the league now i think there's going to be some significant cost savings for those clubs so that's important for usl uh meanwhile nisa the new third division league in the united states that kicks off this weekend actually uh with uh, with a couple matches uh has signed a deal with my cujo uh and there's been some criticism of this deal looking at the Twitter, uh, at Twitter where fans of clubs, particularly Chattanooga and Detroit, have said Mike Cujo is terrible uh, and they'd have problems with Mike Cujo in the past. I want to stress this. and This um, comes from experience with that platform. That platform is only as good as the stream is and the production level is at the club that's streaming it. So Mike Cujo is a great platform, in my opinion. But there were too many clubs, and the Chattanooga and Detroit experiences are with NPSL. Um, and with, uh, 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 in, in some cases, maybe they've watched UPSL matches uh, on uh, MyCujo. The, the production levels for those matches are terrible. If you have professionally produced matches and you stream them on MyCujo, it'll be fine. And I uh, am hopeful that NISA does that. We don't know yet. Um, obviously, the, the, they've never kicked a ball, that league, and, and they will start beginning this weekend, but um, just want to stress that because there was a lot of backlash about this Mike Cujo announcement because of uh, the uh, um, because of some of the past experiences in lower leagues, in amateur leagues. Uh, NISA is a professional league. They have professional broadcast standards, so I would anticipate and hope it's better. Yeah, exactly. So hopefully, whether it's that uh, that club or that lower, that, that NISA club or NISA clubs, of course, having whether it's a fiber connection or so, a strong internet connection that's able to stream that back onto MyCujo and then MyCujo being able to, which, which is available for free, right, Kartik? For, for viewers, if you want to watch yeah, those games. Yeah, it is available for free. Yeah. And it's also a great, great little platform because what Mike Cujo does is if you, uh, if you miss an event, uh, it bookmarks it. So, mm-hmm. uh, again, if the production's done properly, so you can go back and see the goals and see uh, the, the incidents, you know, yellow uh, card and red card incidents, uh, pretty easily if you're streaming the match afterwards or if it's archived. All right, let's move on to TV ratings. I'm not going to go through all of these because uh, we'll have all of the numbers at worldsoccertalk.com. I will go through the one that got the most number of viewers and then the one that got the least number of viewers. Uh, the most from this past week was Liverpool against Arsenal on NBC and uh, Universo. Uh, 1.1 million viewers watched this one. And uh, 
overall, I mean, Liverpool's on fire so far this season, but uh, an entertaining game, unless you're an Arsenal supporter. But but still, it was, it was a great number. Um, the lowest number we've got from this past week was the New York Derby, NYCFC against uh, New York Red Bulls on ESPN2 on Saturday, uh, prime time, 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern time, uh, 110,000 viewers. Uh, to be fair, this was at the same time as the uh, University of Miami against the University of Florida college football game. So I think, uh, but again, Kartik, here we go again. If people are interested and if people care enough about watching, you mean, soccer, professional soccer, and if there's relevancy and reasons why you should watch a New York Derby game, you mean, that should become your first priority. Um what do you? I mean, do you yeah, think? Do you I think mean, that? I mean, what? 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 what, what other MLS matches this weekend did better than that? And I, yeah, you could make the excuse of the Florida Miami game, but quite frankly, I mean, living in this state, you didn't hear the end of it, right? But right. Uh, you and I both live in this state, but um, right. If I think outside, Nebraska, state, you know, that's a very regional matchup. I mean, yeah. that's as regional. That, that's like a derby, right? In in, in American football. So, um, mm-hmm. I. I I find it hard to believe that that really impacted uh, the rating for that match. This is a consistent thing we're seeing with New York City FC and with Red Bull. And we, we've seen with the Galaxy at times. Uh, LAFC is, is, is doing a little better. But um, again, Seattle, Portland, Atlanta, Orlando, uh, maybe uh, uh, now one or two other clubs. Those are your drivers. Uh, and uh, the LA Galaxy LAFC game got a great rating. I think that had to do with timing and also yeah. LAFC. But uh, you throw an Atlanta game on at the same time, that's getting twice that number. There is something wrong with MLS in New York in the, in the New York metropolitan area in terms of its TV profile and in some other major markets also. But primarily, New York is the, is the really serious one. Doubling down and adding a second club there has not done anything to move the needle in terms of overall ratings for the league. Yeah. Um, and for, and for, me, for me personally, I mean, NYCFC, I refuse to watch those games at that stadium because it, it looks – it, it looks like it's a five-a-side football pitch. I mean, it, it's 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 horrible. It's horrible to watch on television. It must be even worse to be in the stands. And yes, I know if you're a new NYCFC fan and you, you love the club and you love the players and you love the everything about it, that's great. But you need a new stadium. That's not a relevant, authentic. Uh, that's not an authentic way of, of, of playing soccer. It's not even a full-size pitch. And then, and then, and then, New York Red Bulls. You mean they don't even play in New York? They play in Harrison, New Jersey. You mean to, to me, that's a, a New Jersey team. I mean, to me, to me, then it's kind of a that doesn't even feel real either. It's kind of a feels forced and fabricated. Um, and 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 that's before you mean that. So that that's to me personally. Now, other listeners and other readers and fans might have other reasons for what, not watching that game. But uh, to me, it's. Uh, it's fake. It's fabricated. Well, I mean, having a Jersey versus New York City rivalry is fine. I, I just yeah. think, that, yeah. uh, first off, that stadium, the, the the ground there, you're absolutely right. That's a big problem. And then secondly, I would say that uh, these teams are not uh, – they, they haven't moved the needle in terms of popular fan support, which is unfortunate because if I were pinned down and asked which, which club – in MLS, I respect the most in terms of just playing principles. Mm-hmm. I would say Red Bull, yeah. And in terms of their system and, and what they do, and, and uh, if I were pinned down and say, "Well, who do you support?" I would probably say Red Bull. Yeah, it's it's a team that uh, 
University of Orlando. Yeah, it's a team that over the years has has developed a lot of good players that have a good playing style that have. I mean, yeah. So, so, but but to me, in both of these examples for both of these clubs. There's there's other reasons why for me personally, and I'm, I'm not speaking for everyone, but there's me why I'm not turned on by any of these clubs is uh, a lot of it has been been about the the branding, the name of the club, and and just where they play, it's just the basics, yeah. the the fundamentals of, of forming a club. You mentioned Kartik a second ago, and I, and actually I, I didn't mention it yet, but wasn't planning on doing it, but let me do it. It's the LA Galaxy against the LAFC viewing number was was fantastic. Uh, 462,000 people watched this one game uh, on Sunday night. And uh, this was on Fox Deportes and FS1. Uh, the Fox Deportes number, I believe, was the most watched MLS game ever on Fox Deportes. I think it was 262,000 people watched it for that. And then um, uh, just over 200,000 uh, on FS1. So uh, great numbers there. And this was a game, again, too, that was a late kickoff for East East Coast. Uh, it was advertised as I think ten thirty or either ten o'clock or ten thirty. It didn't kick off until I think closer to ten forty-five, which is uh, I just hate that as far as MLS and, and US soccer in terms of the bait and switch where they list a kickoff time and it hardly ever starts at that time. I think that in long term you, you're going to lose you're going to lose viewers. Viewers are not going to be. You mean they'll say okay, this is ridiculous. You, mean, you, you tell me it's a kickoff of time at this time. I you mean set my clock. I figure out a way to watch this game at this time, and it doesn't kick off until later. To me, it's a bait and switch. But but still, the view number for the LA Galaxy uh, derby, fantastic, really really good numbers, and, and hopefully that will continue. Listener mailbag. Uh, I've got some good uh, feedback this week, uh, as always. Uh, the first up is Josh B. He says ESPN FC is back to showing video highlights of the English Premier League. They showed the highlights of the Villa Everton game that aired on NBCSN last Friday. I hope ESPN FC continues this for the rest of the season, especially with VAR now in the EPL. That is uh, fantastic news, and thanks, Josh, for the heads up there. Tim Keane says I subscribed uh, to NBC Sports Gold and have watched Watford games for the past three weeks. Aside from their lack of performance on the pitch, I had a few observations. Number one, for some reason, the game is broadcast on a delay basis. I was looking at the Watford uh, newspaper, like a live report of, of the match, and it showed that West Ham had scored from the penalty before it happened on TV. Now, Tim, uh, usually there's a, there is a delay. Uh, so sometimes the actual reporter for the newspaper is at the stadium and is reporting it live on kind of a, I'm guessing like a minute by minute commentary uh, or the, or the Twitter feeds. And usually there's a delay, but the delay sometimes maybe is like anywhere from seven seconds to, to 20 or 30 seconds. So maybe I'd be interested to see how much of a delay was there on NBC sports gold. um, If it was in 20 to 30 seconds, or if it was two to three minutes, the other part of it too, is a lot of it depends on your streaming uh, service so in terms of yes nbc sports gold is streaming these games live in quotation marks it, it's live but it's off by anyway again anywhere from like say 10 seconds to 30 seconds but if your streaming service is taking a little bit your internet service provider is taking a little bit longer to connect to that nbc sports gold that delay could be could be a little bit longer Number two, for some reason with NBC Sports Gold, we lost the game with 10 minutes to go. By the time I got it back, it was almost full time. Since you can only see the game as it happens, I could not go back and see what I missed. When I called customer support, they basically told, told me I was just out of luck. 
Number three, if you don't have a top six team in the Premier League that you support, then you can see your team on a regular basis for $40 a season, which is a reasonable price. So thank you, Tim, for the, the feedback about NBC Sports Gold so far this season. Kartik, I, I don't have it. Do you have it this season? No, I didn't get it this season because yeah. I uh, it, there is a chance I will get it because I have to admit uh, through three weeks of the Premier League season, I have missed it. Uh, and I didn't. I don't want to admit that, but I have because I've, I've just been used to having I the always obviously we had ex, Premier League extra time or whatever it was called um, or not extra time yeah it was called extra time the additional channels and then the first two seasons of gold I bought it uh, then the price hike this year I didn't now um, if I bought gold it would be for the higher package because of the the additional programming including Soccer AM which mm-hmm. uh, I'd like to watch but uh, it was just it was a price hike that did it to me I'm. I might still get it, though, honestly. I, I probably will spend this international break contemplating whether I do it. <laughs> yeah, with NBC Sports Gold, I mean, for some people, it's a good fit. I mean, for some people that maybe uh, are traveling on weekends or have a lot of activities going on with the kids or family or, or whatever's going on, and you may not be watching the, guy, the games live, but you get back later in the evening and you just want to switch on NBC Sports Gold at 9 o'clock Eastern time or later to watch uh, the game that was uh, shown on television uh, that morning or, or that afternoon, that's perfect. And uh, and also having access to the games that are not on television and watching those those live. And there's, I mean, there's the two different packages with NBC Sports Gold, different options available depending on who you are and what you want. Um, for me personally, it doesn't work. For me, I'd want to have access to all of the games, uh, both live and on demand with no delays and pay that much more similar to well basically the same as what's happening in canada if you subscribe to DAZN, you can have access to that and have everything streaming now that's that's what i want i mean that's i want to have the control to be able to watch those games whenever i want to live or on demand and have access to everything and pay a premium for that but that is not available in the u.s all right john average geek says fs1 had three mls games on sunday what was the point of LAFC versus LA Galaxy not kicking off at 10.30 Eastern time? Half the, there was uh, half an hour pregame before the first game. Halftime shows show between games. Uh, no excuse not to kick off at the advertised time. So I think John's saying that uh, I mean, there was pregame before the game and I mean, it didn't have to be. I mean, he had back-to-back games. Um, if they wanted to kick off earlier, they could have done. Um, I mean, I know that heat is a factor in Southern California in the summertime, and um, but still, <laughs> to me, MLS needs and, and Fox and the other broadcasters need to get their act together and say, okay, right, we're committing to this kickoff time. This is the kickoff time that we're having. Like the rest of the world, any other soccer league around the world, you know, or club around the world, when when they say or when the league says, okay, here's the kickoff time, that is the kickoff time, unless there's a weather delay, unless there's lightning, unless there's other things happening. Um, to me, I don't know. It, it's just very frustrating, and and I think um, I think a lot of other listeners probably agree with us. It's just uh, it's 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 silly. Make it easy. Make it easy for people to watch games. Don't make it difficult. Don't don't uh, switch the time on them. Harry says, I love your show, but two things stick out. If you're, sh- if you're a show about soccer media coverage, how do you not care about other American sports when it comes to soccer? It's hard to take you guys seriously when you have a major bias to U.S. sports in general. I understand your primary focus is soccer, but to ignore the impact of primary sports in the U.S. is a reason why playing in the summer 
is the main reason uh, or why a winter calendar will not work. So for me, for me, for me personally, Kartik, I'll, I'll let you share in a second. Uh, for me personally, I have no bias against U.S. sports. It's just that soccer is my life, 100%. I mean, if I'm not watching soccer on television, which I'm watching on average two to three games a day, weekdays, and probably six games, four to six games on a weekend, depending on what's happening. Um, I love the game. I've loved the game since I was a young child. I, I remember my parents sitting down with me when I was probably about eight or nine, probably nine or ten, I think it was, saying, hey, hey Chris, um, I know you love football, and you mean, every minute, minute of your day, you're either playing a game, playing the game, or you know, watching it, or doing soccer stuff. But you need to concentrate on your schoolwork because there's no future for you in soccer. You're not going to become a you know, uh, into soccer. Little do they know, <laughs> this is my full time job, and and I'm, I'm I'm actually making it happen. This is to me is a dream come true. I'm able to actually watch soccer, and whether it's on television or uh, watching my kids play or go into a local game now and again but i mean whatever opportunity i get to watch and live and breathe this game i absolutely love it so i have no bias against u.s sports um i used to watch basketball in the 80s when i was in high school and there wasn't much soccer on television and i enjoyed that and i've never gotten into american football at all um i understand harry as far as how these traditional sports have such an impact on the viewing experience of an average American in the United States. But uh, you and I, Kartik, I think we're diehard soccer fans, uh, the diehard of diehard soccer fans, and most of our listeners and readers are the same too. So I have nothing against American sports, but I just have no time or interest in them because I'm, I'm interested in, in soccer, whether it's uh, US soccer or European soccer or soccer from anywhere around the world. I will watch it. So what about you, Kartik? Yeah, soccer is a 12-month sport, so I think a lot of American sports fans are used to the four-month calendar, the six-month calendar of you know, college football uh, is really kind of in August to, to November pastime, although which, you have the New which, Year's, and then you have the spring football. Which uh, Let me try a minute, which for me is always so weird. I, I still can't figure out, like, what do they do? I mean, what, what I mean, do they just flip from sport to sport to sport throughout the year? Yeah, I, mean, I guess so. I mean, I, although college football is a little different because I, I know a lot of college football fans who don't watch other things, and then they're just waiting for the spring game, which is a it's it's a inter, it's like an inner inner scrimmage, but spring practice because NCAA rules restrict how much you can uh, you can play or what you can do, how much you can train, practice during certain semesters, which are not uh, calendared for that sport. Uh, basketball, college basketball is the same thing. Teams have to take four, uh, international tours uh, to uh, uh, to. Uh, UM just went to Australia, by the way, University of Miami's basketball team under Jim Laranaga, because that's the only way you can get games during your off season because of NCAA rules. Uh, point is, though, I don't understand this argument. I don't watch American sports. I'm watch uh, mostly, although I do watch some college sports, uh, admittedly, and I do watch golf. Um, I don't watch American professional sports anymore, but I do know the calendars. I used to watch uh, all four of the major sports at one time. Um, I, uh, soccer is 12 months. There's always a league going on. There's always an international competition going on. Here's the thing I don't understand about this argument. We're being told you can't go head to head with football, but that's what MLS does now. And the U S leagues do now the end of the seasons. And I, and I've worked in the sport in this country and I can tell you it is, it is horrible going up against college football for, uh, well, maybe it's different in other parts of the country. The NFL is the king, but here in Florida, um, and in the Southeast college football is the king and going up against 
against college football on Saturday nights when you're at the end of your regular season and then when you have your playoff tournament every Saturday you're going up against college football. Now, if you shifted the calendar, you'd be going up against the NHL and the NBA for your business end of the season and the uh, the uh, um, the uh, playoffs. Uh, playoffs. Right. Yeah. So I, I don't understand this argument, Chris, because you're actually, I think, uh, now, yeah, a lot of your regular season will go up against American football. And maybe I'm taking this from a very southeastern perspective because college football is king here. That is the sport. Mm-hmm. Everything else, including the NFL. I know the NFL is got higher television ratings around the country, but I think of the southeast. It's 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 very secondary. Um, my experience in I have a number of reasons I want the calendar shifted. One of it is that you can't. No one pays attention, or very few people, other than hardcore soccer fans, pay attention after uh, this coming weekend when college football, the Miami Florida game was uh, week zero. But this is week one uh, in the state of Florida and in the Southeast. It affects your attendance. It affects your television ratings. It affects the amount of coverage you get in the newspapers. I do not think the NBA, the NHL. And Major League Baseball do that. Now, maybe, again, it's a geographic bias, but I'd like to avoid our playoffs going up against college football, period. Makes sense. Makes a lot of sense, too. And um, so going back to Harry's comment, we're we're cognizant of the different landscape that's out there. Kartik more than I am because I'm not tuned into that at all. But, I mean, in terms of the calendar, there are good reasons. And and also looking at the weather. Um, there's ways to make it work. The frustration that we've had, uh, myself included, has been that there's been no change, effectively, other than the season starting a couple of weeks earlier and ending a few weeks later. It, it's roughly the same idea. Um, there's been really no conscious effort, it seems, to to really help fix it or change it uh, in the best interest of the sport in this country. JP says, I'm saying this as a frequent listener to the pod and not a particularly big fan of Major League Soccer, but you guys do often come across as anti-MLS. Case in point was the discussion in the last pod about the ratings for Sheffield United, unnecessarily turned into a direct comparison with a MLS game and used to jump to conclusions about why this is the case. Conclusion, people don't care about MLS because all the games that don't matter, like in the Premier League, easy to qualify for playoffs. And fans love the Premier League since every match matters towards relegation, etc. Also, any arguments that the time slot for European soccer, late morning or afternoon, being more conducive in grabbing viewers for what is probably the sixth most popular sport here uh, at best versus primetime is just a sorry excuse making. Premier League ratings would be higher than Major League Soccer no matter what, etc. I watch a lot of soccer and will admit that if the matches were primetime and competed with other sports or entertainment, don't think I'd watch nearly as much. Uh, the time is a big factor. Sure, I'd try to watch uh, Barca, Napoli, Real Madrid, but would I watch Sampdoria or Villarreal? Probably not, but I do now. It may sound like an excuse, but it's true. Primetime MLS is not on my calendar, and, will, and I will usually watch only watch my local club anyway. Probably the case for most MLS fans, follow their club, not the entire league. With European soccer, many fans are casual and will watch the, the match regardless of club. Uh, the only American sports that also function like that are college football and NFL. Then the NBA once the playoffs start. MLS isn't even close to that level yet. In most towns, it's fourth or fifth in the pecking order for attention from other local sports. So some good comments there from JP. Um, I will say that in terms of some of his points there too, 
yes, it does come across that I'm anti-MLS. I'm not anti-MLS. My issues really with Major League Soccer are more to do with uh, the way that the the business, uh, the executives are running the league and uh, a lot of the decisions that they're making, which seems to be in the best interest of their uh, owners and not in the best interest of growing the sport in this country. And um, we can go on for like probably a two-hour debate about about going through all those different examples. Um, so it does come off. It, it may come across, across as anti-MLS. Um, it's not. I mean, the, the, the actual playing level is is good. Um, some of the games are entertaining. That the TV coverage is better than it's been in the past. Uh, a, a lot better in terms of accessibility to these games. Um, there's a lot of positives about Major League Soccer, but at the same time, there's a lot of frustrations about the league. And, and that may come come across uh, in some of the comments I've had. I mean, Kartik knows this better than anyone, but uh, a lot of people kind of talk, look at World Soccer Talk and say, like, ah, oh, that used to be EPL Talk. Well, the reality is that it started off as EPL Talk and then became World Soccer Talk uh, many years later. But we also had Major League Soccer Talk, and we had a one of the first uh, Major League Soccer Talk, um, uh, Major League Soccer podcasts out there. On a weekly basis, um, we had a website uh, uh, promoting, well, not promoting, but talking about Major League Soccer and some good opinion articles and Carter wrote for it for many years. Um, I had some pieces on there, too. And that was something that uh, that I personally felt passionate about, that I wanted to have an MLS Talk website. Um, ultimately, we had La Liga Talk, Bundesliga Talk, Championship Talk, EPL Talk, and when I went ahead and took all of those and put them into worldsoccertalk.com. Uh, to make it more of a kind of one place to go to for all your soccer news and TV schedules. So I'm committed to Major League Soccer. I, I watch it when I, when, whenever I can. And, um, I mean, I have a lot of... I mean, I was a season ticket holder for the, for the Miami Fusion, and uh, I got engaged on, on, on the pitch uh, at halftime in an MLS game. So I have a lot of kind of history with Major League Soccer. I want to see, to see it do well. I'm just frustrated. I, I think. I think, and then that's a growing frustration among a lot of soccer fans. Just frustrated at the way that the league is being run and uh, missed opportunities, and they could be doing so much better uh, to make make this a better league. What about you, Kartik? Yeah, the same. I mean, I, I, my issues with MLS are, are ideological and on the business front. But the thing I don't like is that people who uh, are opponents of Major League Soccer uh, then uh, and share my same views about MLS's business structure and MLS's management then project that on the football also. So uh, if I say something like, hey, I enjoy it. This happened last week. Hey, I enjoyed watching Columbus versus Cincinnati. It's like, how can you watch that? It's crap. It's terrible. That's not it's like a semi-professional football. Football in England, it's like uh, the conference, which is all nonsense. And then if I say a player may be better off in MLS, like Jordan Morris, than playing in the Bundesliga, oh, you know, you don't know what you're talking about, blah, blah, blah. So it's it's bad on both sides. I mean, the anti-MLS people are out of control. They've gotten out of control. They don't understand nuance. I'm with them on most things. But that yeah. should not then force me to deprive myself of watching the top domestic league in my country. Now, the flip side is the MLS fans that we just talked about, who are just like, oh, well, if you don't champion Major League Soccer and if you say anything positive about any other league and say, oh, yeah, it's great that uh, Christian Pulisic didn't come through an MLS academy and he went right to uh, Borussia Dortmund, then somehow you're you're anti-American or anti-Major League Soccer. I mean, it's just that the, the whole conversation is toxic and I'm at the point where I want to avoid it. I support Major League Soccer. I like the product on the pitch. I try and watch it as much as I can. 
that does not mean I support the management decisions. And because I don't support the management decisions and don't support the ideology of the league does not mean I should not watch the league at all because I, as someone who is, works in the sport and covers the sport, I need to be informed about what the best American players are doing, the best players in my country are doing on the pitch. So I need to watch it. But that does not mean that I'm endorsing the management. And it's just, you know, you can't even have this conversation. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, it's one of those things that uh, whenever I talk about Major League Soccer or write about Major League Soccer, sometimes I feel like having a disclaimer at the beginning of my sentence or at the beginning of you mean, my written word to say that um, just because I'm criticizing Major League Soccer doesn't mean I hate Major League Soccer. Yes. And I think a lot of Major League Soccer fans, probably younger fans, are overly sensitive about this, that uh, they don't want any negativity or anything that's uh, semi-critical about the league because they see that as an attack. And it's not an attack. It's just a, it's an observation. It's a criticism. Um, it's, it's something that I'm looking at at a league. And, and we've criticized the Premier League you know, and Bundesliga. You take any league from around the world. There's a lot of things that can be improved about any any league, but we're making some comparisons. We're making some observations. Uh, it's just our opinions at the end of the day. Uh, DT, next comment on uh, in the list of mailbags says, there's a lot of whiny MLS fans on here. If you like MLS, good for you. But when 60% of the teams make the playoffs, then you really shouldn't get upset when other soccer fans don't bother watching. Whatever will you guys do when the league stops expanding, since that's the main thing that MLS fans talk about? I guess it will be back to full-time bashing of other soccer supporters for not watching MLS. Good for NBC increasing viewing figures from 220,000 from before they took over to 457,000 last season. This also doesn't include streaming figures. The fact that people on the West Coast are still asleep for most of the games and all this while traditional pay TV households decreased 9% since 2013. You would think that maybe this website, Will Soccer Talk, was started and run as EPL Talk for years before switching names might give you kind of uh, an indication that there might be a slight bias towards the world's most popular football league. And I, I admit there's a slight bias. I mean, it's something that, I mean, my favorite league from around the world is the Premier League. Um, and I, I mean, I love La Liga. I love watching the championship. I, I like watching select MLS games um, when the competition is good and the atmosphere is good. Like we saw with the LA uh, derby, so on and so forth. I love, I love the Bundesliga. I love watching South American soccer. Um, I have a slight bias, a, a preference towards the Premier League for sure, but uh, but it's not a a propaganda. It's not it's not kind of a. Uh, I'm committed to to making this uh, even more popular than what it already is. It's just uh, I'm just sharing my observations and opinions. Last but not least, Raymond Orozco says, uh, just how realistic is it for a true North American su- Super League, and how commercially successful can it be? This one is interesting, Kartik, um, because in our interview last week with uh, Juan Carlos Rodriguez from uh, uh, Tuduene, uh, formerly Univision Deportes Network, is that uh, he stopped sh- he stopped short of talking about the the ongoing conversations between M- Liga MX and MLS, and we've seen with the Campeones Cup and we've seen with the Leagues Cup. And I'm sure there's a lot of other stuff going on behind the scenes, some big plans uh, that are in the works to try to figure out a way to link these 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 clubs and these leagues together. Um, I wouldn't be surprised that 
if there wasn't if it i i would not be shocked if there was a north american super league that was created in the next 3 to 5 years where you'd have league mx and mls clubs uh playing together in a more competitive league and maybe maybe a regular league the challenge though is travel i mean we've seen this another criticism of major league soccer in terms of uh, instead of taking a lot of these clubs taking charter flights, they're taking you know just regular economy flights and having to travel and, and make three or four different connections to get to to a match and get fatigue from from all this air travel. And by the way, I mean with the earlier discussion, that to me affects MLS's quality of play. I, I've I, I'm not saying I'm not arguing that the that MLS would be the best league in the world uh, if some of these things were changed, but it could be. It, it actually you know you don't know if. Uh, Teams were taking charter flights, and if the travel was uh, was shorter, and uh, everybody were playing on grass pitches, and you were playing in cooler weather, it might be a much much better league. So, just sorry, I, I just no, no, I, yeah, yeah. digress, but I want to point out that that charter flight issue is massive, and that affects the quality of play. Yeah, as I, as do the number of midweek games uh, I, in MLS in order to try and get into this calendars because we don't want to compete with football and all that mantra. I think it would be interesting, though, too, and hopefully MLS and League MX have done this already, is uh, to sit down with a, a blank piece of paper and map out what what a North American Super League might look like in terms of the calendar, in terms of how clubs would play each other, how the leagues would be organized. Because the reality is, is that, I mean, if we started this, say, next season, which is not going to happen next season, but if we started this next season... The Liga MX clubs would, would run riots through this league for the next few years, several years, because I mean they're a higher competitive level. We've seen that from the Concacaf uh, Champions League. Yeah. Uh, Long term, there's opportunities here to actually create something that could that could work. Figuring out the calendar, figuring out how these teams will play against each other, figuring out travel time and all that, all the different. It's it's actually it would be a big challenge. I think it could commercially be hugely successful. Liga MX, for all the benefits and all the pluses of that league, the one thing that they're poor at is marketing. Major League Soccer, for all the pros and cons of that league, the one thing that they're awesome at is marketing. So there's an opportunity there where they can work together and really, you mean, take control of this North American uh, continent and make it make it have it be a super league. I I, I can see that happening. Uh, how it happens is another story, but um, yeah, great question there from Raymond. You can join the conversation about anything we've talked about on this podcast or anything uh, that's on your mind in regards to TV, uh, online or streaming or apps, watching soccer. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com. Now, Kartik, uh, we've got a hurricane approaching Florida. Uh, it's going to run riots um, probably for the next week for us. But uh, for those who want to stay up to date on uh, your insight in, ter- in terms of tracking the weather, as well as, of course, soccer and po- politics and Florida history, uh, where's the best place that they can um, follow your conversations all week long? KKFLA737. There'll be a lot of tweeting about the hurricane in the next week, obviously, and, and that's uh, people come to know me for that during tropical season. And uh, a lot of tweeting about Mason Mount the last couple of weeks. In fact, uh, as uh, we've been on this show, he just got named to the England squad. So, oh, really? oh wow, yeah, uh, yeah, and deservedly so. Yeah. Um, 
Ashley Bonds, did he get picked? Oh, I didn't check that. I saw Tyrone Mings, which is a nice one. I like that one because he started the year with Villa really well. And as a player that at Bournemouth would have, I think, would have really come through if he hadn't been injured so often. Excellent. There you go. So we got some late breaking news from Kartik Krishnaya here and you can get more of that on uh, on his Twitter account too. So here we go. So um, in terms of looking at, actually, I don't think Ashley Bonds is on that squad. What the heck? Uh, anyway, so thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, Spotify, Pandora, Pocket Cast, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, Audio Boom, uh, Overcast, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, uh, please share it with your friends on social media. And uh, and actually, the last few months, we've had a lot of people that have been live tweeting, uh, listening to the podcast. So they will. Uh, tweet us and let us know when they're starting to listen and we'll give us comments and observations as you go through the podcast and that's been really helpful um, to be able to then go ahead and take those and put those into the uh, listener mailbag section so so give us a review on iTunes if you, if you don't mind too we greatly appreciate it and Kartik heading into another weekend of uh, football from around the world and uh, I think it's going to be a good one I'm really looking forward to uh, Leeds United against Swansea City on Saturday top of the table clash uh, 10 a.m. Eastern uh, it's not on ESPN Plus, yeah. Good, but I will watch it on Swans TV. Um, but of course, the other big games from around the world. Uh, what should they do? Enjoy your football. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky, smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.